For you who may not know what it is, it is an annual way that we retell the story of Jesus and the church. Uh, It begins at the first Sunday of Advent, which is four weeks prior to Christmas, telling the story of Jesus' coming. We'll begin that part of the story next week, and we always enjoy it. This time, today, is the last Sunday in the liturgical year, and what we have as the theme is the return of Christ, the Christ who is triumphant. We don't often speak on the subject, which doesn't mean it's not important. It is, and today we're trying to understand how we can talk about it. We find that God has truly blessed the world we're in, that he has given us the things we need, and we stand here uh, feel full of a sense of God's abundance of the things that are around us and trying to understand what is not only important about the present but also about the future. Our text today speaks about Jesus being the king, a title that we don't often use in our culture. Let's hear some things the scriptures used to describe him as the king. It says in Romans 14, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. He is the king that everyone at one time or another, meaning in the present life or the end of time, shall bow before him. He will be honored by everyone. In John 3:17, he came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So as a king, his greatest desire is not for simple allegiance, but his desire is for all of us to know the forgiving love that God has offered to us through him. We learn of his character in Philippians 2, verse 6. He did not count equality with God as a thing to grasp, but he emptied himself. There was always humility. In the story where Jesus enters for the last time in Jerusalem, he comes riding on a donkey. He comes there not riding on a horse or a steed or stallion, which would be the symbol of a king coming for victory, but he comes in the most humble of all methods to let us know the kind of king he is. Here are some familiar words we often use to describe Jesus. He is our Redeemer, our Savior, our Prince of Peace, the Son of God, and here he is also the King of Kings. He deserves and should receive all the recognition that he is from all of us. God planned for him to come. We know that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came as a king. He came according to God's plan. He came for us. We know that there still is in the world today kind of a a struggle over those who would believe and accept and those who would try to make it in their own way. But God's love is there for us. What does it mean for us to call Jesus a king? 
The truth is, we don't use the word too often. We don't have a king. Our country never has had a king as the United States of America. There are a number of countries in the world that still have a monarchy, a monarchy. Uh, some of them are a constitutional, constitutional type where they're more of a figurehead, not actually running it. And some are absolute monarchs. They run the country. By the way, uh, Vatican City is considered to be an absolute monarch, the Pope being the one who would run it. But how do we, if we're not used to the term, if we can't see it as a positive one, how can we come to recognize that Jesus is the king and what that means for us? How do we buy into it? The sad part of us is that when Jesus is arrested by Pilate, which is part of where our text this morning came from, and Pilate is about his duty as a government official, we can understand his role better and his predicament better than we can Jesus as the king of kings. That's just where we are and where we come from. Jesus as a king calls for our loyalty. We are meant to be citizens in his kingdom. And that kingdom is both present, we call it the kingdom of God, and also is the kingdom that one day comes in its completion. That is the theme of the triumphant king, Jesus, who comes and wins the last and final victory. How do we accept Jesus as king in our life? Baptism is a sacrament of the church. We each, if you have joined, have received it. Occasionally someone asks me about uh, how much water is needed. In fact, they ask, is water needed at all? And I told them I've never tried a dry clean variety before. I've always at least to lose a little bit of water, though I'm well aware that the water itself is not the defining element. Instead, it is God's spirit and the heart of the people who come to make that vow and commitment. And God honors that with us. It is our taking our place in the kingdom of God. We acknowledge who he is over us. And our witness is important in God's kingdom. He says, if anyone denies me, then I will deny him. If anyone accepts me, then I will stand for you before my Father in heaven. He says, I want you to know that I am on your side and I want you to be on mine. And when you are, things are going to turn out great as the kingdom comes in its fullness. He said, it's not a kingdom of this world, meaning it's not a political nature. It's not the kind most Jews were looking for in Jesus' day, where he would come and throw out those other rascals and set up the Jewish people as the state the country that would rule over the world. That simply was not God's plan. God does want to bless the people of God. He wanted the people of Israel to be his witness. And he calls us to do the same now through Christ, for us to have a loyalty to him. Jesus, as the king of kings, has always had at his disposal legions of power. And yet he exercised his power of kings in a different way. 
I have two analogies I'm going to share with you. I think about Jesus being a king that we may understand today. It comes from games that we may play. Maybe you've played the game of chess. Chess is one of those games that's not extremely easy. There are um, there's skills to that and strategies for it. I remember once in high school, uh, having in a study hall, uh, one of the uh, guys who sat next to me challenged me to a game of chess. I should have known anybody who carries the chess set around with them in school has got to be good. And sure enough, he was on the chess team of the school, which I didn't know to that point. It took him only six moves to checkmate me. I mean, it didn't take long to do it because <laughs> he knew the strategy behind it. He knew the value of the pieces, what they could and couldn't do. In that game, it's most interesting that while the king is the most important figure on the board, he does not possess much power. There are those uh, pawns up front who are the first line of defense and often very easy to knock off, right? Doesn't take much to get rid of the pawns. All the way down to each one uh, who has their specific abilities to move on the board, with the queen being the most powerful protector. I like that image, ladies. Isn't that pretty good? Is the king didn't have it, the queen did. But I think about the king in that setting. That God has given us not a game, but real life in a way that we serve Christ here. He comes as a servant Christ. He can suffer and he can die for our sins. He relies upon us to be his spokespeople, to share with the world around us what he is like, to let us know that his kingdom is real and we stand to speak for him, to love others in his name, but that's exactly what he would want done. That's something of the kind of king he is. The other game I thought about is the game of checkers. You like to play checkers? That's easier. I mean, that's easier on you. And, uh, and you know, every, every player is of equal value at the beginning. And your goal, of course, is to get one of your uh, pieces to the other end of the board. Well, what happens? They are crowned a king. That's right. And all of a sudden, they possess superpowers, which means they can move in both directions. Okay? They can move back and forth. And given that new power they have, they can begin to take control of the board. And if played correctly, give you the best chance to win it. I thought about that. I think when Christ, who is the king, comes to live in us through his spirit, we're no longer simply the equal peace. But there is a new power in us in the way we live. And what God wants to see done and hopes for through us. God wants us to know him. But he keeps allowing this kingdom, that final kingdom, to delay in coming. There's concern. Even it seemed that Jesus thought that it wouldn't take long that a new kingdom would come. His first believers thought for sure it would be in their lifetime. Here's what's written in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, 
and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. Hear these words. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. To know as we speak about the triumphant Christ, there is a time when he's going to come. It's not come in the hour that we may think. It will come not because we make it, but because he wants it. It comes, his delay is there, not because we made a mess, but instead because God trusts, he believes. There's still yet time for others to know what his love is like. So there is a purpose for us. Then it says, since everyone around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you must live, looking forward to the day of God. Then he says, hurrying it along. How about that? If there is a delay, he says, it is in God's hope that more may come to know him, that every church might be filled, that every one of us would have opportunities among friends and neighbors and even strangers to share the good news of the risen Christ. In hopes that when the final moment does come, all our work will be done and God will be pleased. And the more we do, the better we do, he says, what we're doing is we are hurrying it along. We know that God's love is great. He loves us more than we sometimes can even imagine. And we're trying to figure out, to understand our relationship to him. When our children were all still at home, in fact, as long as there was one at home, one of our traditions every Christmas, it would be happening this week that's beginning, we would go to a Christmas tree farm nearby and we would cut down a tree. Now, our practice was that everybody went, and that was generally true from whatever age they were as college students down, if they were at home, we'd all go. And we, our one rule was that everybody had to agree. Man, does that take a while. And this is what would happen. You'd go out there, and generally you might have a a wagon ride you would take, which was always part of the fun. They would give you a saw that you could cut it down with, and and Clint would always like to tote the saw. And we would uh, walk down through the trees, where generally they would put you out in the middle of the the, uh, setting, and you would walk, and, and it wouldn't take long. I mean, we might be 10 trees or 12 trees into it. Someone would spot a beautiful tree. And we'd all go over it and look at it. We'd all examine it. We'd all say, you know, you know, that one, that one does look good. It looks just like what we're looking for, but, but there might be another one that looks better. You know that? So what do we do off? We go with the venture of walking all the way through the trees. Sometimes we double back a little bit on top of that. And we just keep in our mind, there is one tree we found that looks good, and we veto a few others down the road that we don't want. Then we come back, what do we do? We cut down the first tree that we agreed on. Boy, we sure did waste all that effort. But somewhere in the midst of it, we had to understand and agree it was the right kind. We must understand that God has given us a wonderful gift in Jesus 
It is important what we do with it, whether we take it and receive it and use it. God has a plan and desire for us. There are a lot of want-to-be kings in our life. It's up for us to choose the right one. One of my favorite Indiana Jones movies is Searching for the Holy Grail. The scene I enjoy is when they arrive finally in a cave they'd searched for. They're, They're looking for that cup from which Jesus drank the night that he was crucified. It's all about a legend. And uh, they arrive in the cave. There's an ancient knight who is standing guard. Remember, it's all make-believe, okay? Let's go beyond that. And uh, there is also a bad guy with them. Actually, it happens to be a, a woman in it. And they have arrived at the scene and know they're in the right place. Uh, the bad guy is confident that they can take the grail and use it for their, the power they want. But the knight says, be careful. You must choose wisely. And she begins to look at this uh, full set of uh, goblets and chalices of all kinds, some with great stones and beauty in them. She finds one that must be fit for a king. It is large. It is gold. It has the the big uh, uh, stones cut in it. And she dips it in the water and she drinks from it and she's toast. I mean, that's it. She's a goner. Now in the scene, because of Indiana Jones' father being shot, he needs the grail to heal his father. He begins to make the search. He asks of himself this question, what would the goblet of a carpenter look like? And there he searches among all those beautiful things, gorgeous chalices, and finds a simple one near the back. He is confident This must be it. And it was. The cup of a carpenter. We're called to choose wisely the king of our lives. It says in Revelation 19, 16, On his robe at his thigh was written this title, He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords meaning he doesn't share it with anyone. He will let us, he'll let us be his followers. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we believe that history is headed somewhere and it is straight toward you. That there is the Christ who is the king who will come triumphant and already there is great victory in the lives of your people. And you are delayed because you know, you know there is time and opportunity for many more yet to know. And it is our calling, our purpose, our present to be about that work. We thank you for your love in Christ that shapes us and our world. And Lord, we know where it's headed, but it is headed toward you. In the name of Jesus, amen.